With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire! Welcome to Off Tackle Empire, a Big Ten Christmas crossover where we are going to save Christmas from meaningless football, uh, except it's going to be over before it begins because, man, does any football feel meaningful anymore? We've got a lot of problems with this conference, and now you're going to hear about it. Yep, we are recording on Festivus. I'm recording from, uh, I'm Steve Brun, recording from the home of the Iowa Hawkeyes. Yep, good old Naperville, Illinois. True story, Naperville North's fight song is, in fact, Fight for Iowa. Except, I mean, they say Naperville, but uh, as an alumnus. How do you squeeze Naperville? Well, I guess Iowa is actually three syllables, so it's not. Exactly. Okay. We're gonna, the word is fight, fight, fight for Naperville. Let every loyal husky sing. Okay. Et cetera. Yeah. So it actually does line up better than I thought it would. Somehow for a second there, I was like, Naperville is four syllables in my head, but I, I managed to like Naperville before I said that, but now everybody knows that I was thinking it. So <sighs> well, anyway, um a bunch of really stupid things happened. So let's let's get up with uh, with what happened in what was supposed to be the crossover, you know, the I just loved the idea of the one, one, two, two, three, three, et cetera, but we couldn't yeah. have that anymore because how how very like 2020 to be like, hey, here's this really cool idea that we could execute easily. Oh, but no, actually, because of reasons, we're not gonna do that. And instead we're gonna do this other crappy thing. Well, the best thing is that we still got left with the vestigial Illinois Penn State game and shit like that. Like, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. why why couldn't we just have nothing instead? That's the, I would have taken that. <laughs> that's the part that you got to keep was you're having to play a phenomenally talented opponent that underachieved for the first month of the season and then you know got their shit together just in time to kick your team's ass like that's so anyway nebraska 28 rutger 21 and um nebraska tried really hard to give this game away they did it (laughs) this is a game so nebraska had over 600 yards of offense but this was still a one score game because they turned it over four times and they gave off a kick return touchdown. Like they still, (laughs) you can see a lot of the time, especially against teams in their own talent bracket, kind of that they're getting better as a roster, but they still make so many big mistakes and that's on coaching. Like their players for the most part are fine. But if you have upperclassmen quarterbacks who are still careless with the ball, if you have major breakdowns in special teams, which show last year, it was that they didn't have a kicker at all this year. They go this kick turn touchdown, just the latest. It, it, like the deficits with Nebraska are starting to feel more and more attributable to coaching than to the players they've got. And to anybody wondering, God, how did this team get rolled by Lovey Smith Salini? That's exactly why. All you have to do, you don't have to do anything spectacular to beat that team. You just have to not make enormous mistakes that cost your team points and give the other team points. And Nebraska is prone to doing that much more so than perhaps any team in their division. Yeah. And I have to say that 
notwithstanding the result of this game, Shiano still gets my vote for coach of the year. Not that I have one because this is, again, I mean, you can look at Rutgers schedule up and down and the only game that was out of control on the scoreboard was Ohio state. And even that game, they fought the Buckeyes the whole game. So considering the turnaround they made from last season to this, I think Rutgers might be, I mean, is there an argument that Rutgers is the fan base that has the most optimism after this season, maybe excluding Ohio state. I don't know. I really don't even know what kind of world their fans live in when you're talking about next year versus this year. Well, here's, here's the thing, like at the, you know, after that, you know, we're going to talk about both of these games, but as Ohio state scores to take the lead for the first time in the big 10 championship game, I got to imagine Ohio state fans are just going, God, thank you. Finally, my God, can we just get this? Like, took you long enough jesus christ what a dog shit performance come on now let's just get a stop and get out of here this is just whereas you know illinois ties it up with penn state in a with a really you know after giving up a really stupid touchdown in a meaningless game and i'm just whoa so (laughs) that's the difference i got more excited about meaningless touchdowns against penn state than ohio state fans probably got about scoring a touchdown to take the lead in a conference title game yeah and i'm just over here trying to keep track of if we're gonna have like 50 scholarship players next year we will by the way and we'll get into that maybe a little bit in the preview because msu's game was one of several that were canceled we only have four games to talk about from the big 10 this week so this might be the time when we manage to not stumble our way to 45 minutes i feel like we're going to get there anyway because we always find some kind of tension to go on but yeah to get back to our original point though rutgers had eight watchable games this year yeah if you were to rank rutgers to rank fan bases by current satisfaction levels it's probably like indiana and rutgers right at the top like ohio state disgruntled because there's still a question mark about whether they deserve to be in the playoff like that's got to rankle them for whatever reason who cares you're there who cares what anyone else thinks especially tabo swinney ranking them at 11 what a what a chump i just like he's he's the one of the most successful guys in his profession he's got millions and millions of dollars in the bank all the fame and power you could want he runs that school and he still feels the need to be so petty about ridiculous crap like that. I, I kind of, kind of respect the hustle um, uh, with that type of pettiness. You know, if you're a Rutgers fan, if you're a fan of a program that's just been dragged through the mud and been just a meme for a while, uh, again, coming from experience, what you want more than anything is just for the team to be watchable week to week. You want to be able you don't want to be turning off the game in the third quarter being like, I knew it was going to be like this. I don't know why I even bothered you. And Rutgers. Third quarter, man. Half the time, they didn't make it to halftime before you. Yep. Eight weeks out of nine, with the one exception being against Ohio State, who does this to everybody. They were in it until the end of the game. Their fans had every reason to watch it right to the end. They played a couple of overtime games. They were in one possession games. Um, and they won three of them. So I don't know what you what more you could possibly ask for for Rutgers for step one you just want to be watchable well I mean honestly Rutgers probably was the most watchable team in the Big Ten this year um but you agree every Rutgers game was must-see TV so okay that's not to say that they were good but (laughs) it was fun and compelling and competitive that's well so hold on no because I I don't know if all those things necessarily follow so Uh, Penn State wasn't that close a game well right but no what I'm getting at more is that close games are not necessarily compelling games, right? Because if you were to look up and down their schedule, I would bet you Northwestern probably played in more close game, closer games than Rutgers did. 
they had plenty of like one and three and four point games too. I would not call those games watchable. You know what I mean? Like the fact that they were in a lot of tight games doesn't as because Rutgers is still playing kind of a kind of an unpleasant form of offense. It's certainly much better than it used to be, but I don't know if I would call that like there's still T and you know, I know people are, are going to say that they're tired of hearing this, but I still find, for example, Purdue interesting to watch because they have a dynamic, fun-to-watch offense and these fascinating individual players like David Bell, Rondale Moore when he was healthy. Um, I think that's a different kind of compelling than Rutgers is where if you want to – they're a different kind of compelling. Maybe that's a better way to put it because it is – there's a different kind of satisfaction you get out of watching a team that clearly – enjoys every minute of every game that believes utterly in their coach. And if they're not, if they don't quite have the talent to necessarily be all that good just yet, at least they're better. And they're certainly watchable in the sense that they're not just playing an atrocity against football every time they take the field. That's true. Yes. That what they are now putting on is watchable football, but at most watchable, I think that's a stretch. I mean, I, I'd much rather tune into Indiana, Purdue, um, like that type of team honestly say if my team had the track record that Rutgers did not that it was a whole lot better but we had a bowl last year right so I'm talking if it's 2018 for me and the brand new and a brand new coach does what Greg Schiano did at Rutgers I'm overjoyed I'm you know I am hyped for next year Uh, absolutely and I they should be and I'm not trying to take that away from or disagree I'm just saying that as a neutral outsider in terms of like if there's a slate of three or four Game, you know, pretend this is a normal year. Pretend it's next year, and we've got a full slate of games again. Please, God, let that happen. Uh, and the choice is like, well, do I want to watch, say, Rutgers, Indiana, or do I want to watch, you know, one of these other conference games? Like the fact that they're in a game isn't necessarily going to catch my eye until they're not until kind of team. until the game you were planning on watching ends up going off the rails, and then you check the scores and you're like, hey, wait a second. Rutgers is like down three and this game is like 30 to 33 for some reason. And what the hell is going on in this game? I got to see this. Yeah. So it's, they're kind of, they're still more of an oddity than an attraction in the way that here's a good example. If I'm looking, if, if it were a normal non-conference Saturday, for example, and I'm looking at other games that might be interested in like Memphis is a team that always catches your eye, right. Or Appalachian state, like where there's a certain kind of like they do something on the field that draws your eye. There's really nothing. Yet. Right. So in that sense, I would disagree, but the overall theme here of, are there any, are they anything but overjoyed with Greg Shadow? No, of course they are. And if we're looking at the flip side of this and talking about where Nebraska is, I mean, sure. They studied the ship a little bit and got a couple of wins down the stretch, but I don't know where Nebraska goes from here. I don't know what the, what reasonable expectations for them would be next year. I mean, they still, it still feels like they really haven't resolved their quarterback situation because although they only played Adrian Martinez in this game, four turnovers, man, like that's, you can't have that going forward. You've got to figure out. And that's like the huge majority of their turnovers have been caused by their quarterbacks. That's, you know, Scott Frost was a quarterback. It's supposed to be this play calling guru and he can't figure out how to stop his signal callers from turning the ball over. That's a huge problem. And it's a big enough micro level problem that it could derail the whole thing if he doesn't get it under control well scott frost now ties lovey smith's record for the past three years good on him it's at 12 and 20 to celebrate it so speaking of lovey smith we'll cover now the one game of the rob smith era at illinois 
a 35 point loss to Penn State, which to be fair, looked like it was going to be a hilarious, entertaining shootout for what, like the first quarter, not quite a quarter. And then Illinois basically ran out of mana and you apparently forgot to put your healer in the party before this boss fight. So you're just taking piles of damage and didn't have any way to cover for it. Well, what happened was we allowed a 75-yard touchdown on the first play from scrimmage, a uh, fitting tribute to Lovey Smith. But then the offense was fun because uh, Rod Smith was intent on proving to everybody that this wasn't his fault. And specifically, he might as well have put out a statement that said, I was ordered to start Brandon Peters and play this weird hybrid <laughs> offense instead of starting Isaiah Williams and do what I want to do with the offense. Yeah, and that's basically what happened. And it that provided- is pretty pretty firmly con- conveyed as well. Yeah, what was interesting was the defense was blitzing, had like one high safety and man coverage. And uh, interesting to see that shit. Um, Thought that it helped, but... Yeah, well, I mean, we they're, led they're... 21 to 14. And then get this, for the second time in three years, we gave up 42 straight to Penn State. We yeah. just do that sometimes. So kind of whatever. The, the, the wheels fell off and... Um, my only regret from this one is that we couldn't give up another touchdown to Penn State to make it a 63 burger, which would have been a fitting end. We would be remiss, and I think this is a good point to talk about it, not pointing out that, yes, Illinois did fire Lovey Smith, and they have hired former Big Ten West stalwart and division runner Brett Bielema, who apparently had – so after his time at Arkansas, he spent a year in Bill Belichick's you know film dungeon – and then he was, I think, like the outside linebackers coach for the Giants. So sort of an interesting career path that he's taken to get to Champaign from Madison, you know, via Fayetteville, Foxborough, and the Meadowlands. And then well, now. I'll tell you when I first knew this was what was going to happen was when I looked at the field of candidates, I saw there just wasn't a lot of competition because you know, not a lot of schools firing their coaches this year. And I saw, man, there's like a lot of candidates that I would really like. In fact, there's really only one that I wouldn't like. And then I realized, <laughs> oh, yeah, we are 100% hiring the one that I don't uh, want. Yeah. And so, look, it's completely fair to say that once he ventured out from under the house that Barry Alvarez built, things did not go well for Brett Bielema. But it's still the dynamic there was always interesting, right? Because plainly nobody thought at the time that he was leaving for a better job. The the assumption that I recall was, well, he's leaving because he wants to be able to do things his own way a little more. He doesn't like being, you know, <laughs> I can imagine there being some kind of some argument at some point where Alvarez is like, look, you're as long as you're in my house, you'll obey my rules. And that's like, fine, I'm moving out then bro. And then he, quits and takes the Arkansas job like a like a petulant teenager or something because I don't know how else that could have gone down really well yeah you know famously easy to work with person Barry Alvarez (laughs) right you know person who famously people don't really fucking hate him when they're forced to work with him for a lot for a long time um never happened before you've never had for example another coach quit in the middle of the season just to and go back to Oregon State just to get the hell away from Barry like that's that's never happened um so I don't know. It's it's weird it's because at that point, there's a situation where you had an asshole mentoring an asshole. Um, <laughs> and by all accounts, they're still both assholes. Um, yeah. It, you know, you have not heard much about Bielema basically since he went back to the NFL and became and well, not back to the NFL for the first time and became this anonymous assistant. But there has there hasn't been anything out there like normally when you see this kind of hire like a guy coming back into a more prominent media stage like this. 
if he had sort of the rumored and half confirmed personality issues in the past, normally you'd see some like write-ups like, Oh, he's, you know, a changed man and he's about to turn over a new leaf. There hasn't been none of that. <laughs> well, I saw a lot of write-ups about how Sar- Steve Sarkeesian went to rehab and stuff. And, and even though though that's the, uh, you know, from Arkansas message board that, that seems to be how his time at Arkansas fell apart was that he had put together some legitimately pretty good teams at Arkansas and things fell apart quickly when uh, he apparently fell off the wagon. Uh, coaches stopped respecting him because he started not showing up to meetings. He pissed off uh, Sam Pittman, who left, and then he couldn't keep his staff together. And then the wheels just fell off, and he gained like a shitload of weight, and then uh, just kind of got burned out. So uh, this, and this is a thing. I, I guess the reason that my reaction to this hire was so viscerally bad is because. I think it's kind of fair for me to be worried about somebody coming to Champaign to be the head coach of Illini football and just being the worst version of themselves because that's generally what's happened. Um, (laughs) And, but I don't want to overlook the fact that a motivated and sober Brett Bielema is probably a pretty competent big 10 football coach. Uh, I don't, I can't, in any way give him all the credit for the stuff that happened at Wisconsin. I certainly don't want to give him credit for that time. That's that 2012 Wisconsin got to the Rose bowl because Ohio state self banned and Penn state got banned. Um, That (laughs) had nothing to do with him. Or if that had anything to do with him, then he is an evil genius who we should absolutely give a lifetime contract to if he (laughs) orchestrated that. But, but he proved in his press conference that he, more than any Illini coach I've seen knows how to say what the people want to hear, knows how to do the song and dance. And that's not nothing because what is recruiting and networking, but saying what everybody wants to hear, right? If he puts together a staff, which he's, and, and again, I give him credit for saying the right things. He said that he wants to have a staff together by the first week of the new year. Well, that's good because that means, you know, and he said it himself that he understands how important this recruiting cycle is. So he's got to get the staff together by then. It's an aggressive goal, but, you know, those are his words. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that's going to tell us all we need to know, because if he assembles a stud staff of X's and O's guys and, you know, recruiters with a lot of juice, especially guys with ties to the areas Illinois likes to recruit, well, then I'll be a lot less worried about the, uh, about Brett becoming the worst version of himself uh, in a, in short order. Um, yeah. Well, and, so, and you mentioned there's a, there's a couple important things there. So half is going to be critical because how, <laughs> How many coaching regimes have we seen in the Big Ten that end up failing because within the first couple of years, the coach has to fire a coordinator because he just completely got the hire wrong? Like, well, our last coach. Yeah, that is not something that many coaching regimes get over. Um, and from a recruiting standpoint, as things stand now, Illinois is dead last in the conference. They are barely within the top 80 nationally. And that's after signing the 88th ranked class last year. Now, it's going to be, he's going to have to figure out very quickly, like who is staying, who is going. I think I remember seeing Josh Amaterbebe is off to the NFL, but plenty of other seniors who could take another crack at it if Bielema wants them back. And, you know, the guy, the number of guys who come back, I think, like, it's still not clear to me with this blanket waiver of eligibility, how scholarship numbers are going to work. Like, if you end up getting a bunch of seniors who come back, does that mean you have to take like a five-man freshman class? It doesn't seem to be the case. I haven't seen anyone whittling down their scholarship numbers but that kind of thing has never been explained the ncaa hasn't bothered to explain any of that so you've got uh, a recruiting class with nobody ranked 
higher. I mean, the, I'm looking at the 24-7 rankings right now. Illinois has one guy for the 2021 class inside of the top 500 nationally. Brody Wise Carver. Yeah, it's number 475. So um, you combine this class with last year's class and the fact that with a new coach, you always have some roster transition. He He's not going to have the luxury of – this class being a complete black hole. Like he's got to get some useful players here. Well, the other thing that he has, the other thing that he has to do is a thing that I'm really sick of seeing our coaches not do. He's going to need to find a way to win some games with the players that he inherits Um, because it's not impossible. We didn't leave him with nothing, uh, nor was Lovey Smith left with nothing. Everybody (laughs) said that Jeff Brom was left with nothing. And whether Jeff Brom is any good now doesn't matter. He took those players and he won more games than anybody thought possible with them in year one. You can do it. You just have to actually try. Um, And you have to have strategies to do it. So I'm hoping that, for for instance, for a defensive coordinator, that who he picks – he values he he hinted at this too because he said they were going to run a three four and then he backed away from that basically saying you know it's a lot more important to me that one they 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 be able to to coach guys fundamentally and technique and stuff um than what philosophy they're running but I'm, I'm hoping that that means that he values their ability to scheme for their talent and scheme for their matchups versus what specific thing they want to run because we just had a guy whose whole thing was i'm running what i'm running until it's perfect and that's all i'm gonna do because when i get it perfect we'll dominate and guess what that's what don brown did at michigan that's what rob smith did at minnesota and rutgers and uh those are not working don brown just got canned no, that, that approach very rarely works unless you have perfect overwhelming talent. talent. Yeah, which doesn't happen anywhere in this conference except Ohio State with consistency. So they can. And if run- you're Ohio State, what's it matter who you who how you scheme defensively? No, they could run the flex bone. They could run air raid. It wouldn't make a difference. They're going to be fine because they have the best talent. So um, that's obviously important. We'll see how this goes. I mean, uh, it seems to me. I feel like most of the Illinois sources I've seen are kind of pessimistic, but most of the outside sources are more neutral. Like I haven't seen anybody really predicting, oh, this is going to be a huge success. They'll win a couple conference titles. Like I don't see anybody predicting that, but the outside sources are like, well, that could work. Uh, And I think that's kind of where I am where no, like the, the general trajectory here, Illinois recent history with football hires, uh, the, place where Bielema was when they found him and how it went with his last major college football job. Because really, I mean, if you were to compare where Arkansas was in the SEC West when he got there to where Illinois is relative to the Big Ten West now, it's not a terrible comparison. So if you're, you're hoping that he's able to simulate that initial burst of energy he had where he did have a couple of good years at Arkansas and that he's then able to kind of hold things together a little bit longer. So which, here we go. Here's some scenarios. Here's some scenarios that I think are all possible, right? So a median scenario would be one where, you know, Brett Bielema does feel a little embarrassed about the way things went at Arkansas and does, I mean, I don't know. I lost a job once and I was, you know, I was really motivated when I got to my next one to be like, you know, hey, I'm going to prove those assholes wrong that like I, I belong here. I don't feel like I have anything to prove to those assholes because screw them, right? But I'm going to anyway, even though they'll never see me. So anyway, you know, Bielema comes in with that kind of attitude, um, you know, because the athletic director made it made it a priority to him uh, recruit, you know, establishes relationships with 
Illinois high school coaches, goes to all the clinics and stuff that Lovey couldn't be bothered to, um, brings in a bunch of his old buddies, um, you know, because he's got he's got buddies everywhere from uh, which is one of the benefits of hiring a guy that's been around a high level power five football for so long is he's got a lot of guys, you know, guys that have been good coordinators, but failed as head coaches, uh, longtime position guys. He puts together a staff of those type of people and Illinois puts together some, some top 50 recruiting classes and ends up with a five and seven floor in a couple of years. Um, Bielema leaves when they get a bowl game and he gets offered more money because everybody suddenly sees the upside. There's a median scenario. That's possible. There's also a scenario where Bielema simply saw how long of a leash Lovey Smith got and thought, well, I'm back in Illinois. I'm in the big 10 and they've got to respect the recruiting acumen I had at Wisconsin. So this is going to be easy. I can do this in my sleep. And so I'm going to. And he just tries to cash a check and get a big fat buyout. And we don't see the effort that we thought we'd see. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of ends up being all on the staff who then bail after a couple of years of this. And we're right back where we were in four years. Then there's a scenario where all the shit that he said uh, in the press conference was true. We're hiring him at his lowest point. This is the end of act two in the hero's journey. And he realizes that he had to come home to where it all began. Even though he as a recruit from Illinois chose to go out of state to Iowa, he now suddenly believes that it's his duty to make the opposite happen for everybody. And that in fact, the biggest motivator for him is now spite of Barry Alvarez, which is a very powerful force. And he's cleaned up his act. He's cleaned up his act. Having having a couple of kids at home has made him really reflect on the kind of person he is and who he wants to be. Maybe he's not even a Roethlisberger tier asshole to everybody anymore. And, and, and you know, and, and this is the next chapter where he's just an exemplary human being and he just does all the things right and, and really unlocks the full potential of what he could be. And Illinois runs the Big Ten West in five years. So I don't think that one's going to happen. But I'm certainly hoping that that's as likely as the uh, cash a paycheck and get that buyout after three years scenario. I think it's probably a lot closer to the first scenario I outlined. But you can see the variance there. There may be a lot of upside, but hopefully the idea that Whitman had, uh, our athletic director, is that the floor is probably higher for this guy than, for instance, Marcus Freeman, who we interviewed, the defensive coordinator for Cincinnati. That's a guy I think is going to be a star in the future, but we needed somebody that had head coaching experience because nobody in this program has any idea what it's like to be around a winning football program, right? So we couldn't hire an up-and-coming coordinator that hasn't done the job before. Personally, though, I would have been overjoyed with Dave Clawson, and I think he could have been had for the money we got Brett Bielema. I would have liked Lance Leopold. I thought that Jeff Munkin would have been interesting. Whatever. Uh, we're doing this now. Uh, so I guess let's just hope for the best. We will see what happens when he puts together a staff. You take a breath at any point in that? <laughs> Not very many. Yeah, I guess I don't really have any thing further to say other than that you mentioned the guy Leopold would have been the first thing the first guy I would have called if I was in Illinois position but what do I know um so the, the flip side of this so, game, there was a really funny thing there was a rumor that was spread on a forum or something like that some I can't really all right okay this Illin- a good one. Illinois had like for some reason Illinois fans and like you know some 
like our 24 seven people really strongly believed the night before the Mac championship that Leopold was 95% the guy and that it was going to be announced after the title game. So that means that you had like the whole Illini internet watching the Mac title game as they just <laughs> melted down. <laughs> and, and then we were all like, Oh, okay. Now I believe that he's interviewed for yeah, the Illinois Now he's job. definitely a guy after we see this performance. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, moving on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, before we do, just a quick note on Penn State, the other half of this game. So, Oh, yeah, that happened. It, right. Well, it's worth noting that after the 0-5 start, Penn State rallied a little bit. And sure, the schedule got quite a bit easier. Michigan State and Illinois down the stretch, Rutgers as well. But, it, look, it was fair saying because we were wondering through the midst of the season, like, man, what happens if Penn State goes 0-8 or 1-7 here? Like, do they does that change James Franklin's job situation? He, you know this move didn't end up happening, but there was chatter about James Franklin being a possible candidate for the Texas job. And I'm like, really in an Owen five season, he's the guy that they feel like throwing the money, you know, aiming the money cannon at. So it, it seems like things there have kind of stabilized. They've sorted out their quarterback situation here where they're going to be, it, it feels a little bit like the situation they had with McSorley and Stevens, but with a slightly bigger role for Will Levis, we'll see if that holds next year. They're going to, it feels like they're going to be hit pretty hard by the NFL draft. I don't think we've seen a whole lot of declarations yet. There was Micah Parsons before the season, Pat Fryermuth's already declared, but I believe Jahan Dotson would be draft eligible. And it's hard to believe after this breakout year that he wouldn't go. Um, Shaka Tony and Jason Owe are going to be guys as well that could consider going. But again, you've also got the situation where all your seniors might return next year. So Penn State's going to be an interesting roster to watch. They could have a fair amount of turnover here, but they're the one non-Ohio State team that's recruited well enough to survive that kind of thing. So maybe their players are all watching uh, and waiting and seeing what Ohio State players declare for the draft after they're done with this season. I mean, like, all right, are we going to have a chance? If we all band together, can we get them this next year if enough of their players leave? I misunderstood you. So you're saying if if enough Ohio State players go, that Penn State might be like, all right, now's our chance. Let's everyone come back and we'll take a swing. I yeah, come on. All right, enough of them are gone. Quick, the mods are asleep. <laughs> um, Let's steal the Big Ten title. No, I, I, don't, I don't think that many individual players who have viable NFL choices in front of them are going to look at it that way. It's <laughs> be a very amusing thing, but I'll put it that it would only be funny if they say outright, that's what they're doing. If like, if five of them come out and they're like, no, we're coming back because Ohio state's defenses are down. And this is our one chance to blow them up before they complete construction of the battle. Like, you know, basically <laughs> yes. to attack the Death Star before they finish building it. Um, because, you know, with the way Ohio State's recruiting right now, there's not going to be much of a gap in the shields there, man. So even even if that's the case, I wouldn't necessarily like Penn State's chances next year. But, no, somehow I don't think that's going to be how players with an NFL future are going to view it. It would be hilarious and entertaining, so I'm rooting for it, and it won't happen. <laughs> right. Now, 
Speaking of entertaining, let's go to the opposite of that and talk about basically the game that was the cause for all the last second schedule shuffling because this game just had to happen. We had to see this. Wisconsin 20, Minnesota 17 in overtime. What a stupid game. Yes, but also perhaps the most precisely evenly matched game of the year. And the like the only difference between these two teams in this game was that Minnesota's kicking situation is still unreliable. Because other than that, it, I looked at this game and from a statistical standpoint, I watched a pretty good portion of it. And I found myself thinking during the game, man, these two teams are very evenly matched this year as they're currently constructed. That's not to say that if things had gone normally, that it would have been the same. I think it would have been considerably different, but the, the, how about this? How about this? Do you have the team stats up? Not right now, but I've, I've got a number of them. Listed. If, if you get up the team stats, I'll read Minnesota's and you read Wisconsin's. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to go to last week now. Um, and I didn't go into that level of depth when I was considering this, but... But I'm looking at it, and it's remarkable. All right, that's why I put a bunch All of... All the way down. Hold on. All right, box score, go ahead. All right, Minnesota, first downs, 18. Wisconsin, first downs, 18. Third down efficiency, four for 12. Uh, hang on, I don't have that just yet. I don't think I have a column for that. Four for 12. <laughs> Total yards, 326, 322. Uh, Passing, 14 for 26, 16 for 25. Rushing attempts, 36, 36. (laughs) Turnovers, 1, 1. Possession, 29, 32, 30, 28. (laughs) 30 seconds of exactly even possession. Yeah, like, (laughs) it doesn't happen. Yeah, no, this really was as evenly matched a game as I think I've ever seen from a statistic. The total yards difference was four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's up and down, as similar as it possibly could have been. It's absolutely the meme of the two Spider Men pointing each other, but they're both holding a hams like this. You know? <laughs> uh, the entire difference here was that Minnesota just has does not have a reliable kicker, and Wisconsin does, and that that was the whole difference in the game. I guess if you're thinking about this from the macro perspective of the fan bases, if you're Wisconsin, you look at this season, which was just just shattered into a hundred pieces by COVID and also losing to Northwestern, which you shouldn't have done. And maybe you kind of shrug and you figure, look, we got a pretty good amount of pieces coming back next year. We've got a system running here. There's no reason to think this is going to be a long-term disruption. Whereas if you're Minnesota, you're disappointed to lose the ax back-to-back years. Sure. But I think you look at the dead even balance in the box score here and you think back to where this series was before Fleck got to Minneapolis. And I think that you feel pretty confident in this amount of time that you're now dead even with Wisconsin. And sure, if you were being totally honest with yourself, you would admit this is an unusual year and Wisconsin's probably going to be better most of the time than they were this season. But you can still say to yourself, look, we've decisively closed the gaps if we had all of our full complement of players available, if we could get our kicking game sorted out, we'd probably win this game. Um, so there's reason for both teams to come out of this feeling optimistic, but Wisconsin takes the ax for, what is that, like 19 times out of 20 or something? Yeah, uh, so I got a question. Minnesota got to be feeling, you know, pretty decent to finish with the record that they did given all of the players they were missing and everything, and they were able to cobble together some stuff. And then Penn State, they started 0-5 and and they won their last four. So my question is, who has more, we won the NIT, so now we're going to make a big run next year energy? Oh, Penn State for sure. Um, Yeah. Only because they're the ones who 
realistically, I mean, again, remember, even in the second week of this year after losing the opening week, they were still in a competitive game with Ohio State. And, you know, in the later stages, that game had a little bit of a boat race feel to it, but they were still given by far the best chance to beat the Buckeyes this year. They still have the best recruiting base out, outside of Columbus. So there's no, it's, or I guess the quite. <laughs> so I guess I should ask for a clarification. Do you mean who should be feeling the best or who is? Because it wouldn't surprise me if Minnesota fans are looking at an undeserved win over Purdue, um, kind of a fluky win. There was the, who was the game they played after that, that they managed to slip through as well? Was it Nebraska? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, they're, they're kind of ignoring that a couple of these notches in the win column probably should have gone the other way and buying into this culture of no, everything is great all the time. This is exactly according to plan. And we deserved every ounce of this, like there, that vibe is out there as well. So if the answer is who should be feeling, you know, that they can take on the King next year, it's, it should be Penn state who is feeling that. I don't know. Maybe Minnesota does still delude themselves into that. And they're kind of whistling past the graveyard on some of the issues that were exposed this year, particularly on defense, because they're still going to have a crazy young back seven last year. And they didn't really show the improvement on that side of the ball that I would have thought over the course of the season. They had better scoring tolls, sure, but also played some weaker offenses down the stretch. So we've been dancing around it, but we need to give everybody a round of applause. I guess ourselves included because we're part of the Big Ten media sphere. Congratulations. We did it, everybody. We got Ohio State into the playoff. Congratulations. That's a wrap. We'll see you here to do it again next year. Can't wait to see them go out and probably lose by 10 to Clemson. That's probably the, what would you say, like between a couple standard deviations of the expected outcome would be them losing between by between 7 and 14 points to Clemson. That feels about right. Roughly. That's going to be after a matchup in which, man, <laughs> despite having a massive talent advantage in just about every place on the field, a truly horrendous game by both Ryan Day and Justin Fields resulted in a game that for three quarters looked like Ohio State was really, really trying to blow this. Because, for I mean, I don't know that I've seen a, a conference game like this recently where one unit so dominated the game the way Ohio State's offensive line did in this game. And yet, and yet, they were so reluctant to run the ball. And this was with, you know, they're missing Chris Olave. And you can tell that those two have him and Garrett Wilson have been the main engines of this passing game all year, because I think it's maybe fair to say that Justin Fields doesn't necessarily trust anybody else because with Olave gone, Wilson was really the only threat they had out there. And so Northwestern doubled him a pretty good amount of the game and Ohio state's passing game didn't seem to have an answer for that. They had a, I mean, I think the box scores ended up looking a little bit more attractive than they really were. But Fields' passing line was not good for most of the day. It's not like he was under constant pressure. I mean, on the dominance I'm talking about from that front line was not just in the run game. There would be – he would drop back, and there's not the slightest hint of the pocket collapsing. Like, his guys are in front of him just like, no, we got this, bro. Like, they're, they're holding him back like a, like a line of riot policemen at a Rusted Root concert or something. Like, there's no need for that kind of force against Northwestern's front. They're not that effective rushing the passer. Fields has all kinds of time and he's still misfiring, making bad interceptions. And Ryan Day keeps telling him to throw the ball, even though Trey Sermon ends up breaking the single game rushing record for Ohio State. 
and he got probably what two thirds of it after halftime. Like it, it was just bizarre to me that they wouldn't just hand the ball to this guy 30 times and say, win the game. You can do it. Cause he you know could what, have, you know what this smells like to me. And I'm getting to a point with Ohio state where I don't even know how much I'm joking. And this is where, like if you played a lot of dynasty mode in NCAA football, sometimes you find yourself in a situation where like, yeah, I'm obviously going to win this last game of the season. The question is, my quarterback is the only guy that I've got in the Heisman top five. <laughs> I got to get him the stats to put him over the top here. Yes, they have a better secondary than their run defense, but like I got like like it doesn't do me any good if I just win the game because my bat goes off for three hundred yards. I want that Heisman. Well, that would be strange to me because I don't think anyone. Uh, like I haven't seen Fields really discussed as a serious candidate for that anymore because it sounds to me like Heisman voters are still going to go based off of counting stats. And because he's only played six games, his are nowhere near, you know, the Mac Jones and uh, Kyle Trask's of the world. Like he's, he's not going to, it would be a surprise if he got an invite even to be honest. Well, by, by Heisman, in, in other words, by Heisman voter logic, uh, Nathan Shieldhouse is better than Justin Fields because he threw for more yards. Yeah. Um, so anyway this you know this ends up being an outcome where even though they won the fact that they struggled against lowly northwestern who's you know one lost team ranked in the mid-teens still ended up causing much consternation in the espn secpn bubble sphere about whether ohio state deserves to go much ado about nothing because they do end up going and we'll get into the previews of that, of the playoff and the rest of the bowl games in the Big Ten slate and the preview section, which is going to be very short because, again, there's only going to be a handful of Big Ten teams and bowl games this year. We'll take a look at one other thing, though, that I found interesting. If there's anything else around the country from last week that caught your eye, we can do that. We can also talk about any of the first couple of days worth of bowl games, but I haven't seen anything compelling so far. And that was that our sister conference in the Pac-12, really the, the conference – most similar in tradition and mindset to the Big Ten. Of course, we'll all recall that what their championship would have been under normal rules would have been Washington versus USC. However, because of a COVID issue at Washington, they were not able to play. And so the conference, instead of, you know, postponing or finding some alternate arrangement, just said, well, we'll just have Oregon go instead. Uh, this, by the way, was an Oregon team that was two and three at the time. <laughs> yeah, with a loss to Cal. Yeah, <laughs> but they were second place in the big in the Pac-12 North, and so they go to the conference title game against an otherwise undefeated USC, which is, despite being undefeated USC, still only ranked 13 because they played a horrendously weak Pac-12 South schedule because the Pac-12 South was terrible this year, and and. Then, of course, the inevitable happens and Oregon wins the game. They win the Pac-12 title at 3-3, three and three, which means they're entitled to the conference's New Year's Six bid. <laughs> and, so, and USC gets nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Hold on. They don't get nothing. What they get? Oh, man, I knew this, and now I've forgotten. Let me look it up. What did they get? Actually, they do get nothing. It doesn't look like they took a bowl bid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at the bowl projection. Colorado is playing Texas, and then in what's probably going to be the worst New Year's Six game since Michigan and Virginia Tech in that awful Sugar Bowl, uh, we have Oregon. Oh, I'm sorry. Oregon must have been three and two, not two and three. I was wondering how that was even possible that they were in the title game, but I just remembered that wrong. So, no, Oregon was three and two. They're now four and two, and 
I guess just because we can't have a New Year's Six game with an unranked team, they got bumped up to number 25. They're going to play Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl. And what is going to, like I said, the worst New Year's Six game right there with that Sugar Bowl between Michigan and Virginia Tech. Oh, boy. It's just bringing me back to when we dropped, when the fighting line, I dropped UCLA to six and eight the one year. <laughs> and the Kraft Fight Hunger Bowl. Does that bowl still exist? It does. In fact, it's the Red Box Bowl now. That explains everything. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle. Empire!